All right, good to see you here this morning, and I'm not going to take a lot of time with the books just to make you aware of what's new. Maybe as the week progresses, and starting tonight, I'll tell you about different items on the table, some of the content, but there's a book on exposing the NIV, and I assure you that it uh, is simple to read and follow. It lays the NIV beside the King James shows you what they chopped out, what they changed, and the doctrinal implications. My wife has a new children's book on the table that is for more the junior age, and the only reason I say that is not the level that the writing's on, but not like the series of books that we have back there. It doesn't have full-color artwork on every page. And then there's a book on the insanity of fear, and I may preach a sermon by that title tonight, so I won't take a lot of time on that. I'll tell you about it then. And uh, my wife has a new book on Modesty Matters, very helpful book. And some of you may have her little green book on what in the world should I wear, very graciously written, sound doctrinally, and uh, very practical and helpful. This is a uh, book that takes a different angle and covers some areas that that book does not cover. So I'd encourage you to take a look at it. Then there's a book on how to handle temptation, and it's not a matter of if, but when, and what kind of temptation. A friend of mine wrote a book on Revelation Made Simple. I published it for him, and it's a good little book. And then my two most recent books, uh, this book on examining our heritage, it's a history book, kind of. It's full of Bible. But our nation, our country was built on Bible. Our nation was founded. Our founding documents are laced with scripture and biblical principle. And uh, our founding fathers were God-fearing men. I don't know if they were all saved, but I can tell you they were God-fearing men, had a reverence for God in the Bible. And that's very evident. There are hundreds and hundreds of quotes in here by the founding fathers. And then this book on proof of the pre-tribulation rapture. Been a lot of confusion in recent years of people, post-trib, pre-rap, mid-trib, all kinds. Of, and all that is, folks, that's not new. That's a repackaging of an old erroneous teaching. And uh, they come along and I've discovered something new. No, you hadn't discovered anything new. Uh, if you've been alive a while, you find out every generation fights the same battles. You know, when Brother Howells was alive, we fought the King James battle once. And he told me then, he said, Doc, I was in my 40s. He said, if you live a normal lifespan, you'll fight that battle again. I didn't think, I didn't argue with him, but I didn't think we would because there was a big split in Independent Baptists over uh, the Bible. But he wasn't cold in the ground until that battle was raging again. And it had to be fought again. And it just seems to never end. It's generational. Same doctrines resurface. Got a bunch of people pushing Calvinism because they're too lazy to go slow winning. Uh, you know, and they can't seem to reconcile certain scriptures. They just can't handle, they can't get the pieces of the puzzle to go together. They're trying to force a piece where it doesn't go. And uh, so this book on the rapture, uh, the only teaching in Scripture on a rapture, and the only way, the only way there can be one is if it's pre-tribulation. There is no rapture in Revelation chapter six or seven or eleven, where those other areas where they teach those, things. and uh, 
In chapter 6 and 7, the people around the throne are tribulation martyrs. There is no translation of the living. It's all I'll say about that. I'll tell you a little bit more about the books as far as maybe content little by little as the week progresses. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We'll begin reading in verse 16. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. When you find that, if you would, please go ahead and stand with me. Stretch your legs one last time while we read the text and pray. Heavy, heavy emphasis on the word last. One last time. Okay? You need to understand that when people walk around while I'm preaching, it distracts me. When I get distracted, I forget where I'm at in the sermon. The only thing I know to do is go back to the beginning and start over. So if you'd like to eat sometime today, somebody moves, tackle them. But seriously, I won't be long this morning if you help me. Don't make me recapture the crowd 25 times. And as soon as the first person walks around, everybody else seems to think they have license, and the only way to stop it is for the preacher from the pulpit to say, hey, sit down. And then everybody gets offended. So I'd rather not offend you. I'm willing to if I have to, to have some sanctity. But I'd, if you'd help me, it'd be a blessing. Amen? So please do that. I won't get you out of here late. I'm hungry too. I've been working all morning, so I'm hungry. I've worked up an appetite. So please help me. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Let's bow our heads together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the word of God. And I pray you'd bless it to our hearing. I yield to you. Please, would you fill and use me? Would you bind the enemy off the service? We plead the blood of Christ. On this place, we ask, Lord, for your hedging about. Please save the lost, minister to your people, and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You go ahead and be seated, please. I want to talk to you for a while this morning about this subject, why God called a man a fool. This is not one man describing another man as a fool. The Bible tells us in verse 20 that God spoke to this man. It was his hour to depart this life. He was unprepared for the inevitable. And God said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. He said, you've not been a fool when it comes to financial matters. You've been highly successful. You're considered the envy of your peers. Everybody sees you as a glowing success. But God said, I'm looking at your spiritual condition and you have played the fool. Who's going to spend all that you've accumulated when you die without Christ, when you die lost and go to hell? Who is going to enjoy what you lost your soul for because you were preoccupied 
too busy. By the way, his problem, riches don't doom you to hell. Preoccupation with anything. When you get distracted away and never get the matter of salvation settled, when your priorities are temporal, the Bible tells us about this man that he played the fool, but not financially. He was a good provider. He was a hard-working man. He was high character. He was successful in business. The problem was he never made preparation for the certainty of death. And the Bible tells us in this passage why God called this man a fool. Maybe you and I better figure out why and make sure we're not guilty of the same things. You know, we, when I read the text, I tried to emphasize the 14 personal pronouns. I, me, my, mine, I think, I want, I like, I will. This guy had eye trouble. And I don't mean he needed glasses. I mean his whole world revolved around his own carnal desires. And he was so engulfed in that that he never stopped to consider the will of God. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. That means to die and go to hell. But that all should come to repentance. Uh, the will of God begins with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. A born-again experience. That's where it begins. And uh, the Bible tells us this man was so absorbed in what he was doing, he never even thought about the will of God. Never thought about eternity. Never thought about dying. You know, there's a lot of people that live in denial. They don't want to think about death. They ignore it and hope it'll go away. It's not going away. You must prepare against it, and there's only one way to do so. That's by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, getting born into the family of God. And he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He didn't say I'm the best way or I'm the Baptist way. He said I am the way. There is no other way to God except through his son Jesus Christ and a born again experience. But this man was guilty of putting himself before God and putting his body that's temporary uh, ahead of his soul. He actually put himself in the place of God like he was the final authority. I mentioned the fact that he had eye trouble, but he's not the first one. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, the Bible tells us about the fall of Lucifer. Now you are aware that God did not create a devil. God created Lucifer, son of the morning, the anointed cherub that covereth, put him in the very garden of God according to Ezekiel 28 and verse 11, and following, but the Bible tells us that Lucifer's heart was lifted in pride, and he said five times, I will, I will, I will, I will. He said, I will be like the Most High. That name, Most High, is the title El Elyon. It means the highest high one, the strongest strong one, the one that has no equal. He said, I will be equal with the one that has no equal. I'll ascend up above the clouds. He said, I'm going to take the throne. The Bible tells us he was cast down, became the one that we now know as Satan, the adversary of God, the adversary of the souls of men. And uh, he fell because he put his will. Listen, um, you know, he didn't fall because he robbed the bank. 
He did not fall because he murdered somebody. All he did was replace the will of God with his own will. I will, I will. When he replaced the will of God with his own will, it made a devil out of him. I could I ask you a question? If replacing the will of God with his own will made a devil out of Lucifer, I wonder what it does to you. Do you think you have some kind of personal exemption? Do you think you can get away with what Lucifer could not get away with? Exalting your will above the will of God. And that's exactly what this man was guilty of. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 23, he said rebellion is as the the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion. It says the sin of witchcraft. Why? Because it has the same author. The first rebel against God was Lucifer. And all you're doing is imitating the devil when you rebel. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You said, preacher, I thought idolatry was bound down to an image. It is. You know what God's saying in 1 Samuel 15, 23? He said, when you put your will ahead of God's will... You're worshiping at your own altar. You're sitting in the seat of God. You're exalting yourself above God like you can tell God how it's going to be. Not going to happen, folks. Not without terrible consequence. Uh, You know, Isaiah 53 and verse 6 said, All we like sheep have gone astray, and everyone's turned to the devil's way. Oh, no. Everyone has turned to his own way. People are lost, not because they've gone the devil's way, but look. If I replace the will of God with my own will, I'm imitating the devil. But you know the devil knows what a rebel you are. So you know what he says to you? Don't do the will of God. Don't get saved and get in church. And don't join a witch coven. And don't join the occult. Don't do my will. Do your own will. Doesn't? That sound liberating. It's the very thing that turned Lucifer into a devil and doomed him to hell forever. And you cannot afford to follow suit and replace the will of God with your own will. You say, well, uh, I'm not going to do the will of Satan. Well, you don't need to do the will of Satan. All you need to do is your own will and you will have imitated him and doomed yourself This man was guilty. No wonder God called him a fool. He didn't learn from history. He replaced the will of God with his own will, exalted himself, sitting in the seat of God. But that wasn't the only mistake he made. Uh, He put his temporary body ahead of his eternal soul. And I said in Sunday school, it needs to be said frequently, uh, what shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The world appeals to the flesh, to the body, to the temporal. And could I tell you that I'm going to die. You are going to die. It's appointed unto men once to die. Death is a certainty, not a possibility. That happens to be the ultimate in statistics. That one out of every one dies. Nobody's going to escape death. You can hide in the basement, but you're going to die sooner or later. You're going to die when you're supposed to die. Huh? I'm not telling you can't shorten your life by living in sin as a Christian because you certainly can. But in the will of God, I'm, I'm invincible until God's done with me. 
I mean, God's going to keep me. Uh, and I'll tell you more about that in different sermons. I don't have time to get into it. But he put his temporary body uh, ahead of his soul. As a matter of fact, he had the two confused. Soul, take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's not your soul that eats and drinks and is merry. That's your body. Those are carnal pleasures. Those are temporal pleasures that relate strictly to the flesh. And that flesh is going to die. So he put his temporary body ahead of his eternal soul and lost both. Lost both. No wonder God called him a fool. Put himself before God. Put his temporary body ahead of his eternal soul. Isaiah 57 verse 21 says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. This guy's still lost in his sin. And he thinks that his soul's in good shape. You know, I was soul winning in the Washington, D.C. area. Knock on the door. Woman came to the door, and I began to witness to her. And she said, now, preacher, no use talking to me. I grew up in church. I know what you're going to say. She said, but I ain't doing it. And I said, uh, how do you know what I'm going to say? She said, well, I grew up in church, and I knew you would talk to him about getting saved. And I said, yeah, I am. And she said, well, you know what kind of woman I am. And I said, well, it doesn't matter what kind of woman you are. Christ died for you. God loves you. Christ died for you. doesn't matter where you came from. He loves you and wants to save you. Psalmist said in Psalm 40, he brought me also out of a horrible pit and the miry clay and set my feet upon a solid rock and established my going. doesn't matter what kind of a horrible pit you came out of. And she said, well, I'm just, she said, I'm, I'm not going to get saved. I witnessed to her for a little while. She said, I'm not going to get saved. And I said, well, do you want to go to hell? She said, no, I don't want to go to hell. I said, well, why would, if you don't want to go to hell, why would you choose to be lost on your way to hell? She said, I like my men and I like my parties. And what she's telling me is her flesh lusts after these carnal relationships. And she's willing to gamble one more day with her eternal soul to fulfill the lust of the flesh one more time. How foolish! It's kind of like, I mean, you know, how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? When Moses told Pharaoh that God had judged him with frogs and they could depart if he'd let people go, he said, uh, go ahead and intercede for me. He said, ask God to take the frogs away. Pharaoh said, or, Mo, or Moses said, Pharaoh said, when do you want them to go away? But listen to this. Talk about dumb. He said, tomorrow. I don't want them to go away tomorrow. I want them going yesterday. I don't want to live one more day with the plague, one more day with the frogs, one more day in that situation if I don't have to. And by the way, you don't have to. Salvation's urgent. It's an emergency. And this man put his temporary body ahead of his eternal soul and lost both. But that's not all. He planned for this life. But here's the shortcoming. He planned for this life only. He had done well financially. He'd done so well that he was going to have to build greater barns and he was going to go into semi-retirement. He was going to sit back, eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy some of what he had stored up. 
He'd worked hard. He had succeeded, and he was going to enjoy a little bit of it for a while, a little hiatus at least. It's what he said that he was going to do. But he planned for this life only. And in Isaiah 28, verse 18, the Bible says, And your covenant with death shall be annulled. You know, there seems to be a lot of people think they have some kind of covenant with death. You're going to live as long as you want to, and in your last breath you're going to get saved and die and go to heaven after you live like the devil. You really think so? Well, I hate to tell you this, but I've been doing this 46 years. I've stood by the bedside of a lot of men who heard it when they were healthy and said no, and when they were on their deathbed and the doctor told them they had less than four hours. I pleaded with them to trust Christ only to hear them say, not now. That means not ever. They died lost, rejecting Christ. They developed a callous heart. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. Said there comes a time when there's no remedy for your problem. He planned for this life only. And Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, it's pointed unto man once to die. You're going to die. I want to think about it, preacher. I want to kind of come to church. I want you to make me feel good. Well, let me help you. Feels pretty good to be saved. Feels pretty good to know that no matter what happens, if I drop dead in the pulpit, if I get run over in the parking lot, if lightning strikes me, I'm going to heaven because I settled that January 15, 1975. I trusted Jesus Christ as an old barroom bouncer, received him, got born again. My life was totally transformed. I didn't grow up uh, in church where my parents made me a preacher. God called me to preach. God saved me out of a horrible pit in the miry clay. I know about that part of life. It's where I came from. But when God saved me, he made me a new creature in Christ, and I have no regrets the only regret I have is that somebody didn't get the gospel to me sooner before I made such a train wreck of my life. Huh? But the Bible tells us he planned for this life only. Uh, let me tell you what I'm talking about. You know, there are people today that are literally insurance poor. And I'm not against insurance and I'm not preaching against insurance. But let me help you something. You get car insurance because you may have an accident, and then you may not. Of course, they require it now, but uh, you get, and for some of you, it's inevitable. You're going to have one. You're dangerous. But you get a homeowner's policy on your house because your home may burn down, and then it may not. Did you notice on the way in that? To church this morning, most of them hadn't. Most of the houses weren't on fire. Huh? But it's wise. I'm not telling you it's not wise to get insurance. You get life insurance, or I mean, excuse me, health insurance, because you may get sick and have a long stay in the hospital. And then you may just have a massive heart attack and drop over dead and never go to the hospital. You may or may not use it. I'm not saying it's unwise to have it. But doesn't it seem strange that we're prepared for all the possibilities of life and not prepared for the one certainty of life? You are for sure going to die. 
This guy planned well for this life, but he planned for this life only. And for that reason, when his life ended abruptly, he died and lost and went to hell. Thou fool! This night thy soul should be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? You know, there's nothing in this text that says this, is, this guy's a bad guy. I defy you to find anything in the text says that his money was ill-gotten gain or he was crooked or that he was a bad person. This guy may have been religious. He may have been benevolent and kind to people. Who knows? But one thing I know for sure is that he was not prepared for what was about to happen. This guy may have been lost and didn't even realize he was lost. You know, it's bad to have cancer. The only thing worse than that is to have cancer and feel pretty good and think you're okay. So when the cancer, unchallenged, is doing its damage. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, the Bible said, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine unto them. He said the devil blinds people's minds. He gets them thinking they're okay when they're not okay. I talk about getting saved, and you think I'm talking about when you got baptized. I'm not. I talk about getting born again, and you think the devil says he's talking about when you join church. No, I'm not. I talk about getting saved, and you, the devil will tell you. Talk about turning over a new leaf or when you got religion. No, I'm not. I'm talking about when you saw yourself as a hell-bound sinner and turned to Jesus Christ as your only hope by faith, received him into your heart, and became a new creature in Christ, experienced the miracle of the new birth. I'm not talking about baptism, church membership, good works, turning over a new leaf. I don't care if you turn over the old tree. Doesn't matter. You must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see. The kingdom of God, you won't get a glimpse of it unless you get born again. But this guy may have been lost and didn't even realize it. You know, there was a fellow at work with my dad years ago, and uh, he fell sick. And uh, he'd only been sick for a couple of weeks, went to the doctor. doctor told him, he said, look, you, you got cancer all through your body. Oh, he said, no, it can't be. He said, I've only been sick a couple of weeks. He said, uh, Surely it couldn't have spread that fast. And the doctor said, well, you've had this cancer for a long time. And in the early stages, we could have cured it. But it's not the presence of the cancer that's causing the pain and sickness. It's the fact that the cancer is now stopping your organs from working properly that's making you feel sick. But the cancer has been there for a long time. We'd have caught it in the early stages. We could have done something about it. Here's a guy who is the picture of health and thinks he's healthy. But he has a cancer in his body that's embedding itself and never realizes that he has it until it's too late. Now, a lot of people in hell that were pretty good people by man's standard. But they were still sinners in need of a Savior, in need of the new birth, and they thought that they were okay. They felt pretty good. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm an Episcopalian. I'm a this. I'm a that. Uh, all the name tags are going to drop off on the way up. And they're all going to burn off on the way down. 
Doesn't really matter what you claim to be denominationally if you haven't been born again. You're still in jeopardy. So he tells us that this guy may have been lost and didn't even realize lost. May have been a good person. Good family man, but never got born again. Hey, something that's very apparent is he died when he didn't expect to die. This guy's not writing his will, planning to part the goods with his children. He's planning for semi-retirement. He's going to build greater barns to hold all that he's built up. He's going to sit back, eat, drink, and be married. That's his plan. But your plans don't always get fulfilled. He thought he had more time, but he didn't. The Bible doesn't tell us how he died. He died when he didn't expect to die. Maybe he was out there surveying his wealth and a pallet of material flipped over on him. Maybe he got so stressed out, working so hard night and day to succeed, that he dropped over dead of a heart attack. Maybe someone found out about his wealth and robbed him and killed him in the process. It doesn't tell us how he died, but he died when he didn't expect to die. This was not in the plans for the near future. This is not what he was expecting. And in James chapter 4, verse 13, God gives us a solemn warning. He said, go to now. Ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into a certain city and abide there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. If something vanishes, that's abrupt. That's without warning. It vanisheth away. He said, your life is like a vapor. It's here and then without warning. No long-term illness. Here and without warning, it's gone. Huh? In this 90th Psalm, he said, for it is soon cut off. And we fly away. If you cut something off, that's pretty abruptly too. So he warns us of uh, not being prepared for the certainty of death. Proverbs 27 verse 1, Boast not thyself tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. He said, don't bank on something as fragile and uncertain as tomorrow with something as precious and permanent as your eternal soul at stake. Don't gamble with your soul. Don't assume that you have a tomorrow. You may not. For some of you, this could be the last sermon you're ever going to hear. For some of you, this could be your last chance to come to Jesus Christ. And the devil will do everything he can to get your mind off of it. He'll do everything he can to distract you. He'll do everything he can to keep you from thinking about eternity and about the urgency, the emergency of the matter. He's a master at that. And if he can get your mind off of it, he'll doom you. You know, I come from a small town in Pennsylvania. And uh, on the 4th of July, several years ago, I was going to a garage that a friend of mine owned. I was going to get some spark plugs, wires. And I had an old truck then, so I was going to put points, plugs, condenser, rotor cap, wires. I was going to do that myself. So I was headed up there to get all the parts. And I was only a few miles from where I lived, and I saw an ambulance sitting along the road, and I saw a motorcycle lying in the weeds. I saw a weight blanket spread on the ground. A group of people huddled there. I stopped and got out of the vehicle. I walked over and asked a young man, I said, what happened? 
He said, it's Doc Spade. I said, well, is he okay? He said, no, he's gone. I said, what happened? He said, well, he was on his motorcycle coming down the road. Nobody knows what happened. He was on a straight stretch of road. He said he got off the edge of the road. He was headed toward a telephone pole. He said at the last minute he jerked the bike away from the pole, but he was leaning this way, and his head hit the pole. Killed him on impact. While I was standing there talking to that young man, the mother and sister of the young man who'd been killed came to me, and they were hanging. They'd just been there to identify the body. They were just hanging on one another, and the mother said to me, she said, my God, preacher, he just left home 15 minutes ago. I'm sure it was longer than that. He just left home 15 minutes ago. He said he'd be home for dinner. Well, his intention to be home for dinner was valid. But there were some things that he didn't plan that took place. He was unprepared for what took place. Now, I don't know if Doc Spade was saved or lost. I don't know. And it's not about his salvation. I'm telling you that life is so uncertain. I mean, everybody's terrified of COVID. Uh, but death was not introduced to the human race in 2020. It started in the Garden of Eden, and everybody dies, and people have been dying ever since sin came into the world. You better be prepared for the certainty because you will die, and for any of us, it could be today. Hey, this guy wanted a second chance, but he couldn't get us out, you know, because I find another man in Luke chapter 16, not the same man. In Luke chapter 16, the Bible said the rich man also died. And was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. He said you are forever sealed in your fate. This is an irreversible problem. While you were breathing, as long as you were alive, you had plenty of opportunity. Acts 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. He said we must be saved, but there's no other name that has saving power but the name of Jesus. And there is no other time to be saved but under heaven. That's why you're breathing and walking on this planet. When you close your eyes in death, you open them on the other side. Your fate is sealed. That rich man's body was lying in state, but his soul was in hell. And he was begging for what was available to him as a gift. All he had to do is receive it. He brushed it to the side again and again until it was too late. Why God called a man, a fool. This guy wanted a second chance, but he could not get one. Hey, look, he put himself before God. He had priority problem. 
He put his temporary body ahead of his eternal soul and lost both. He planned for this life only. He may have been lost and thought he was okay. He died when he did not expect to die. And like ever a lost soul, he wanted a second chance, but he couldn't get one. You know, an old country preacher stood and preached a sermon titled, Don't Gamble. Don't gamble with your soul. Don't gamble with your soul. A young couple sat near the back. whole time the old man preached, they wrote notes. Didn't pay much attention. When he finished the sermon, he gave an invitation. More than a dozen people responded, came to trust Christ in that country church. Walked out, received Christ. Wonderful service. People were saved, and then many got baptized after they got saved. Just a great service. The young couple sat there. As soon as the service was dismissed, they were the first people out. They rushed out the door and got in a little yellow Volkswagen, drove off the lot. People were fellowshipping on the church lawn, rejoicing over the great service. And while they were there, they heard the, the screeching of tires and the bending of metal, the shattering of glass, and a loud bang. A couple of the men got in their vehicle and drove to an intersection that was at the foot of a steep hill. When they arrived, they saw a rather strange sight. They saw an 18-wheeler that was sitting in the weeds on this side, and there was wreckage strewn everywhere, but they didn't see a second vehicle. When they got up to the cab of the vehicle to find out if the trucker was okay, they helped him get out, and they saw that there was a little yellow Volkswagen that had been completely overrun by the truck that had lost its brakes coming off the hill. That's not the end of the story. Back at the church, a little lady who always straightened up the songbooks and took any papers and things and threw them away after the service, she was straightening things up in the back. She found a bulletin that had lots of writing on it had a heart, Billy and Susie, with an arrow through it. And then in two different handwritings, one said, I'm willing to gamble. How about you? Me too. The preacher pleaded with them not to gamble. And they gambled and lost their soul. They weren't off the property five minutes until they were in eternity. So what are you getting at, preacher? Well, if I were you this morning and I was not 100% sure of heaven, I wouldn't leave here gambling. You may not write it on paper, but for you to walk out these doors uncertain of heaven without Jesus Christ, not knowing for sure you're born again, is a major gamble that puts your eternal soul on the line. If I were you, I wouldn't gamble with my soul. Because five minutes after the service is over, it could be too late. You better take God seriously. Why God called a man a fool? He put himself before God, his body, his temporary body, head of his eternal soul. He planned for this life only. He may have been lost and thought he was okay. He died when he was not expecting to die. And he wanted a second chance. But there was none to be had. And there won't be a second chance for you if you die lost. 
Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Is there anybody here that does not know when now is? We know, don't we? Now is not later. Now is not after I do something else. Now is not after I get straightened up. Now is pressing. Why God called a man a fool. Don't make the same mistakes that caused God to call this man a fool. Because as surely as that man died, every one of us was going to die. And we do not know when. You better be ready now. I wonder how many folks in this crowd could honestly say, Preacher, if I died where I sit right now, 